And, you know, honestly, for people who are new to the practice, like it doesn't need to be a big performance every time you show up on the mat. I try not to use what you see online, performative yoga, you know, just things that aesthetically have some kind of impact or visually have some kind of impact. And especially if you're newer to the practice, trying not to use those as foundational to your inspiration and instead going inward. Because if you start on this path of comparison and performativity rather than authenticity, it's going to really affect the way that the practice can help you. So starting with a little bit every day can can really help. Hi, I'm Derek Mills. Welcome to the Glow Podcast. This is a new episode in our series of 30-minute interviews with the teachers of Glow. Today, I'm in conversation with Divya Balakrishnan, who teaches a range of classes from vinyasa flows to restorative classes that emphasize the body-mind connection. In our conversation, Divya shares about how she has reframed her relationship to movement through yoga her journey through to a yoga practice that is more intuitive, her focus on generating joy and healing through movement rather than purely focusing on physical results. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Divya. Hi, Divya. Hello. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Excellent. So as part of my preparation, I took two of your classes on GLOW this morning, and I wrote down a few quotes. Do you mind if I share some of your quotes here? I'd love to hear them back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the first one was meditation for authenticity. And I, I really appreciate how you referred to connecting with that feeling of past authentic experiences and exploring our relationship to control over expected outcomes or the outcomes that we expect of ourselves. Uh, this one phrase is really powerful. Like, allow your awareness practice to be the sculptor of yourself. I thought that was really powerful and to practice trusting yourself. And then under another class, authentically you vinyasa, I wrote down, allow your body to tell you what it needs today. And then following in that theme, one of the publicly available comments on that class written by a GLOW member named Summer, that was wonderful, beautiful integration of pranayama, asana, and meditation. I also loved the ability to adapt to my needs. Thank you, exclamation mark. And I'm picking up on this word authentic in those titles and in the testimonial statement, this, this concept of adapting to my needs because I very much appreciate the part of your story about how your mom introduced you to movement, about how you first came to experience an asana yoga class, and then ultimately your journey of, of reconciling those experiences with what you were um, intuitively seeking in terms of both method and community that uh, truly felt supportive and authentic to your needs, which you didn't find initially. So I was wondering if you could share a part of that experience with us. My journey with yoga started at a very young age. I was 12 years old and had, you know, recently, just a few years prior, uh, spent a year living in India with my mom and my sister. And during that year, my mom had began to take 
yoga classes at a local college nearby. At this college, she learned the basic sun salutation sequence, the traditional 12-step uh, sun salutation sequence. And she taught it to me once we got back to the States. And, you know, it was about a couple years later. And I started practicing it really just as a way to incorporate movement into my life. I didn't really, I wasn't actively playing any sports at the time. And I was looking for a movement practice that felt like more than a sport, more enriching than a sport might for me. And also just, I've always been really, really connected with my culture, being Tamil, being Indian. It was always a big part of my life, even if I wasn't born and raised there. So the connection of yoga to my cultural roots, to my spiritual roots, made it that much more important for me. So that was my intro into yoga. And I um, continued practicing on my own for the first eight years or so of my journey until I was in college. And in that eight years, I developed my first sort of awareness and my first connection to myself and understood that mind-body um, connection that people always talk about. It never really made sense to me, but I started to actually understand it. And in college, that was the first time I took a class in a public setting, in a studio setting. And the first thing I noticed was there was an absolute lack of diversity. I was the only non-white person in my class. And my teacher was amazing. She was patient and thorough. And I learned so much from her. And I really credit her a lot for my sort of jump off into the next chapter of my yoga journey, which was all about um, pushing my boundaries and exploring my, you know, self-described athleticism um, and just trying new things that would take me out of my comfort zone. And that was a very important part of my journey as well, because I started to remove the self-imposed limitations I had on myself. <clears throat> and the sort of third chapter in my yoga journey was around healing. I was living in Oakland at the time. This was a few years after I'd graduated from school. And I sort of stumbled upon this studio called Hotspot Yoga in Oakland. And it was owned and operated by a black woman and the student base was just the most diverse group I had ever seen in a yoga studio. And I just felt incredibly warm and welcome as soon as I walked into the room. Um, and I, I started taking a few classes and I remember there was one in particular where we were doing some longer holds, we were doing pigeon pose and I just felt very overcome with emotion, which is a popular reaction that people have to long holds, long holds with pigeon pose. Um, and I remember the experience being so cathartic and so surprisingly cathartic that it really clicked for me. Yoga is a healing tool. It's a technology. It's not just a movement practice. There is a lot more to it. There's somatic, there's the somatics of it. There is the energy of it. It's really like a science. Um, and that was very inspirational to me because I was personally learning how to deal with new emotions and a lot of growing pain. So it gave me some control and agency over myself. And through that studio and the empowerment I felt in those classes, and just by being in that space, I finally decided to explore my, my op options as a teacher. Um, I had been teaching in various capacities my whole life, but never considered myself becoming a yoga teacher, especially because of how yoga, both instructors and practitioners have been portrayed um, popularly across media, just across representation. I just never looked like the person I saw leading these practices. So I thought, who's going to want to learn from me? 
But just by virtue of being in more diverse spaces, I gained that confidence and decided, you know, whether or not there was a space for me in that industry, as it currently stood, I was going to carve space for myself. Um, so I decided to take a teacher training at that same studio, Hotspot uh, Yoga in Oakland, and emerged out of it right at the onset of a global pandemic. <laughs> um <laughs> and taught maybe one class, maybe two classes in person before everything went virtual. And I haven't looked back since then, um, which leads me to my current chapter, which is all around uh, being immersed in the community, around building an inclusive, accessible, and decolonized yoga practice and empowering others to do the same. Well, I'm so glad you followed through with that and, and found the, the spot, literally the hot spot. <laughs> yoga where you, you wanted to dive deeper into your training does the studio still exist if so i want to link to it in our show notes they do actually adesina cash is uh still running the studio and i know they're going through some changes right now with locations and developing and they also offer yoga teacher training so um, definitely recommend checking them out nice yeah i know so many studios uh, were adversely impacted by the pandemic and so anything we can do to help promote you mentioned the multidimensional ways in which you approach not only your own yoga education, but um, and how you teach it in terms of more like an educational component. Can you unpack that for for a bit? I know there, there are various, um, like I said, dimensions to that. Uh, one of which caught my eye was how you were linking poses to mythology in Instagram, um, along with some other ways. I thought it was, was, was unique and, and engaging and educational. So this, the yoga content that I share online and through social media, YouTube, et cetera, really emerged out of the shift in the yoga industry during COVID um, as a lot of our attention and our practice shifted to um, online platforms. I discovered that there was a huge opportunity for me to one, connect with a lot more BIPOC, a lot more South Asians in the wellness industries and in yoga specifically. Um, and through that access, I was then inspired to start sharing the elements of yoga that had shaped my journey um, and made such a difference for me in, in this practice and my adoption of yogic principles into my day-to-day -day life because that's where I felt the most benefit. For me, I rarely talk about the physical benefits of practicing asana in yoga when I'm talking to new, new students or my friends or colleagues, whatever it might be. I'm usually you know, chirping on about the emotional benefits, the mental benefits, and just the off the mat benefits in general. So I studied theater when I was in school and I'm you know, just someone who loves storytelling and, and culture and uh, theatrics a little bit. So that kind of introduced me into the mythology behind yoga postures um, as being some of the stories that inspired the way we see these yoga postures as like shapes or representations of nature um, or, you know, tougher philosophical concepts that aren't super easy to grasp. And stories, you know, since the beginning of time have been a great way for people to understand and um, really embody things that you know, aren't easily understood. So um, I started a series on Instagram called uh, Yoga Mythology that 
pulled from various different interpretations of stories and and mythology behind these postures. And as I started sharing the stories behind some of these yoga postures, breaking down more intricate and nuanced philosophy into sort of bite-sized, easy to digest, relatable stories, I found that people's understanding of yoga really started to expand. And I'd see that through the feedback. Um, I see that through the feedback that they would share on these posts. And I found that a lot more people who were maybe um, averse to practicing yoga or had a certain impression of it based on how it's been represented, they suddenly became more interested and willing to try it. Um, and I also try to achieve this by creating content around mudras or hand energetic hand seals, pranayama, which is energy practice using breath work as sort of a conduit, um, and breaking down these things that seem inaccessible into more digestible bits of content that people can easily incorporate into their life. At least that's the intention. I love that because once you start diving into that incredibly voluminous, rich, historical journey, there's so much. It's just endless. And uh, to to provide um, bits and pieces that are are relevant to people who are maybe um, so many people are experiencing poses, right? Uh, no matter where you go, like you said, your own experience where you were experiencing poses. Uh, you know, albeit in an environment that was um, very uh, socioeconomic, racially homogeneous, uh, to potentially inspire different populations to, through your work, wonder about how deep do some of these rabbit holes go in terms of what inspired, these types of practices, how, where do they originate? How have they evolved? How have they been used over the centuries in different traditions, different countries? Uh, so I just, I really appreciate what you're doing. And so it's my long-winded way of, of thanking you. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. it. The biggest or the best outcome out of this content that I'm creating has been more inclusivity, more people, even outside of South Asian cultures, feeling welcomed into the practice by virtue of these stories that have morals and sentiments that any human being can relate to. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that it's helping to enrich your practice as well. And then another, before we get on to some of the questions that our team submitted, uh, another important part of your journey was you switching from more of an outcomes, like a more of a physical outcomes-based journey to one that taps into what you were saying in those classes, as well as what is reflected in that testimonial is like your practice of checking in with how you feel in the moment and letting that be your guide. Very true. So I strongly feel that knowing your internal state is such an important skill, being able to understand how you're feeling. Um, it requires a lot of patience and effort to refine that skill. I always start with my mind. I ask myself whether my thoughts are racing. Am I struggling to focus? Am I experiencing a lot of negative self-talk and rumination? And in these moments, I, I tend to opt for slower practices with longer holds that give me the space to maybe release emotion and realign with my constantly present inner peace that just gets impeded by this noise. 
Um, otherwise, if I'm feeling more restless, maybe a little bit energetic or in need of some kind of release, I, I may opt for a faster paced class to work through and release stagnant energy and create space for that new energy. Nice. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. So I asked our team what questions they think our members would like me to ask you. And I have a list here uh, from them and, uh, it's quite, it's a somewhat long list. I don't think we'll get to all of them, but the first one is what is it like working behind the scenes with team glow? I really appreciate the one-on-one -on -one relationships fostered with the producers, with marketing, with operations. Uh, I feel like it really embeds the teacher deep into glow's process and makes us feel empowered to invest ourselves fully into our work. And it goes a long way in making me feel supported as well and feel like there's always someone who's going to help me through whatever I'm, whatever is coming up for me. And the GLOW team is super understanding that we as teachers have a lot going on in our lives. And you can definitely, definitely see all the effort that they put into making things simple and seamless. Oh, that's amazing. They're going to love hearing that. Yeah, they, they so much value the time that they get to spend with you. Like you mentioned from onboarding to creating that relationship to prepping for classes. And so, yeah, I'm not surprised this question made it to the list. <laughs> uh, another phenomenon is that we often hear directly uh, from members um, and, and from GLOW instructors that, you know, even though uh, you haven't met, uh, members tend to feel this helpful connection that can persist after practicing uh, with you on GLOW for some time. And we also often hear that, that teachers, when they meet GLOW members, uh, either at their teacher trainings or workshops, or you know, sometimes even people approach uh, you out in public saying like, some version of, like, you don't know me, but I feel like I have a connection to you because I practice so much with you on GLOW. First of all, is that, have you had that experience? And uh, if so, uh, and how are, how, how are you approaching teaching online that ultimately might help create that effect? So it's funny you ask this question because I recently had my first uh, sort of recognized through glow moment in public. Uh, <laughs> I live in New York, but I was recently in Austin visiting a friend. And one day she had hosted a picnic brunch at Mueller Park um, and invited a bunch of friends. And as we were walking over to the group, two people specifically were kind of looking at me and walked up to me out of the group. They broke out from the group and walked up to me and asked you know, are you Divya? Do you, do you teach on GLOW? We take your classes. Like, we know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, that was really incredible for me. I was like, yeah, that's that's me. And they specifically noted how awesome it was to learn from a South Asian teacher. And they've been practicing on GLOW for a while. So they said it was really exciting to see um, my entry into the teacher roster um, and, and see the types of classes that I'm choosing to teach. Um, and that really touched my heart. So a lot of people, like I mentioned, you know, a lot of people in the South Asian and BIPOC community have just historically felt distance from our own practice um, due to the commercialization and appropriation and wellness, um, and specifically the yoga industry. So moments and encounters like this are happening more and more frequently, and they greatly remind me of the impact of authenticity and, and sharing your voice, which, you know, to answer your other question is I authenticity is a cornerstone of my personal and professional practice. I seek to embody this in every aspect of my life, especially when I teach. I think 
I think it's very easy to fall into this trap of what a teacher, uh, what a fitness instructor looks like and what they sound like. And I see it all the time. Sometimes I fall into that habit as well. But it's not sustainable to just repeat this pattern and, and fit into this equation. Um, so I just try to be myself. I, in my teaching, in my teaching life, this means that I, I try to use plain language that anyone can understand. Um, and I actively use props in my practice and not just as an exception or a variation to the actual posture. You know, I, I, I use it constantly, sometimes even without noticing that I'm using them. And then I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm using blocks. By the way, you can use blocks if you like. Um, and I try to keep it real. And that's probably the top compliment that I receive as a teacher that I'm real and authentic, mm-hmm. which I think people resonate with when we're all separated by screens that sense of relatability can be a lot harder to access. And as teachers, I believe it's our job to make people feel welcome, at ease, and comfortable no matter where they are or what state of mind they might be in. We're we're really just containers and conduits for other people's growth and progress. And that's a huge responsibility. So I think the best way that we can encourage people to heal and grow in a way that's best for them is by modeling that ourselves. That's beautiful. Yeah, we resonate with all of that. Next question. What challenges have you experienced, if any, in terms of falling out of commitment to your routine? And what encourages you to find your way back? I definitely falter in my practice all the time, whether it's just because life gets overwhelming, or I have, you know, some kind of injury or I'm traveling a lot for my job or whatever it might be. There's always things that are going to come up and take you out of your, you know, so so-called routine. But I think it's important for me to know that I've reframed my relationship to movement over the past decade of my life, over the past my my entire journey of yoga has honestly just been one big reframing of my relationship to movement. Um and now I no longer feel the need to even define my practice into a routine. It doesn't always work for me. At some point in my life, especially in the early part of my journey when I was, you know, just starting my practice, regimen was good. I was very result oriented with my practice and it helped me establish some foundations to, again, my relationship with yoga and the way that yoga existed in my body. It it was very integral to that. But now my only goal is to generate joy and healing through my movement. So I naturally don't feel that a routine is conducive to supporting that. Um, intuitive movement is the name of the game for me now. It takes away from the harshness of disappointment and guilt when things inevitably go awry and you miss a day here or there. When I do show up to practice, it's intentional and I'm free enough to do exactly what it is that I need in that moment without holding myself to some predetermined, possibly now irrelevant or even harmful movement plan. Yeah, that's so important. And I I find myself uh, needing to remind myself often to be gentle with myself. And uh, and I, I appreciate also you know, what you said in the previous section around modeling real and authentic and 
we know that our members, just like most humans, uh, are curious about you know, how you know, people like you are managing anxiety, stress, navigating burnout. Would you feel comfortable speaking to those? And would you have anything that you'd want to share with us about your experience with those psychological states, emotional states? I see things like anxiety, stress, et cetera, as just fragmentation of who we are. Anytime that that outside noise, whether it's from society or mental chatter or other influences gets into our soul, we start to fragment a little bit and little pieces of ourselves start to lose that unity within ourselves and start to just go outward. It's like, we're just gravitating towards all these other opinions and ways of living that are so far away from ourselves that it's just the opposite of yoga. It's deunification. So it's absolutely like yoga is such an, in, an integral part of my anxiety and stress relief because it helps me to reunify and bring and come back to myself. So my first line of defense personally against when I can sense is impending anxiety or impending stress is to get outside and get into nature. Yoga is absolutely a practice derived out of nature and out of the earthly elements. So without needing to get on my mat, my first approach is to go outside into nature. And as I said, I live in New York, so I'm not exactly near massive lakes and mountains or oceans, but even just getting outside and, and feeling the sun on my skin, looking up at the blue sky and touching grass under my feet, all of these things can help to slow down the rumination of thoughts in my mind and overthinking. And it connects me back to the elements. When I can't connect to myself, I connect to the elements and that becomes a way for me to connect back to myself because it reminds me that I came from that and that most of my worries are self-made and self-inflicted. So connecting back to these elements reminds me of who I am and what I am and starts to prioritize the things that are going on internally. Now, this isn't a prescriptive solution by any means, because I very much understand that mental health goes much deeper and is oftentimes driven by a chemical imbalance in the body or external circumstances. But personally, I just find that any practice which reconnects me with nature and with my core self unifies me and brings me back to my peace. Oh, I love that. I love the imagery that engaging life is a, a process of fragmenting who we are and that we're constantly uh, breaking off pieces of ourselves that are, are going outward because of the demands of the world in inevitably. And that you know, to use the elements as a conduit to both ground and form uh, new versions, regenerated versions of self that we then take with our, ourselves back into the world to start the process all over again. I love that imagery. So I know you feel that building an at-home practice, workout routine, you know, is important. What are, in your experience, some of the benefits of having an at-home practice and, and what has that meant to you over the years? Over the now almost two decades of my yoga practice, I have found that my collective yoga practices, whether it's asana or meditation and otherwise, all of these pieces together are 
so key for my self-regulation. We give so much of ourselves externally to our jobs, our families, our friends, our community, et cetera. So it's very easy to neglect ourselves in the process and let negative energy accumulate to the point that we kind of just explode. So having your own regular practice helps you to understand your own capacity to set boundaries around how you give and when you give and also learn skills that you can absolutely apply in your day-to-day life. Um, the soft skills, some call them, whether it's self-compassion, empathy, critical thinking, understanding boundaries, these are all things that are very important on and off the mat. And personally, my, my at-home practice consists of non-negotiable daily meditation, uh, time outdoors, just to, again, connect to those elements, and also nourishing my body through foods that are nutritious, but also sometimes just things that you know make my soul happy and make me feel full and content. Um, but when it comes to asana practice, I try not to put too much pressure on what I what I achieved through a session, so to speak. It's more about building consistency and continuing to view my practice as something that is either neutral or positive. I don't always have to feel incredible and, and enthusiastic about showing up on my mat. But if I can even just acknowledge that I did show up on the mat and that I am doing something for myself that day, then that itself is a huge win. Yeah. Reducing that pressure really helps with consistency. Absolutely. Just just do something. And I invariably trick my mind and something turns into more than just (laughs) something. (laughs) Yeah. it, It gets the best of us. And, you know, honestly, for people who are new to the practice, like it doesn't need to be a big, um, performance every time you show up on the mat, you know, try not to, I try not to use what you see online, performative yoga, you know, just things that aesthetically have some kind of impact or visually have some kind of impact. And especially if you're newer to the practice, trying not to use those as foundational uh, to your inspiration and instead going inward, because if you start on this path of comparison and performativity rather than authenticity, it's going to really affect the way that the practice can help you. So starting with a little bit every day can, can really help. That is such a critical message. That might even be our opening quote from you. (laughs) (laughs) I know there's so many, it's going to be hard to choose. Okay. Last question before we ask where people can find you online, how you meant, I want to circle back to your passion for education, learning, curiosity, uh, and growth. Like how are you continuing to evolve your studies or practices and, and what has your attention now? Or like, what are you learning or wanting to learn? I'd say I evolved in my studies most effectively through personal inquiry. There is a lot of noise in the yoga educational space with personal opinion becoming increasingly inextricable from credible source material. So currently, I'm focused a little bit less on philosophy and interpretation of philosophy. And I'm a little bit more focused on energetic practice. Um, So pranayama, meditation, mudra are things that I practice every single day to get in touch with my own spiritual and physical energy. And I'm learning how to harness these tools for my own healing. 
there's so much I want to learn around the intersection of science and spirituality. So all of these things are helping me to tangibly experience that in my body first. And then I go into a little bit more of a philosophical um, deep dive. But I'm also really currently focused on seva or the yoga of service. So providing and giving back to your community, practicing detachment from ego, um, engaging with social causes, all of these things teach me a lot about myself. So it's another way of developing my own study. Yeah, that practice of discerning what is credible out there in the world is becoming one that all, all of us humans are uh, sadly uh, needing to cultivate. And I, I really resonate with, because I, I, I do that a lot as well in terms of like, what is it that interests me? And what is what is sort of lighting me up internally, and then using that as a way to seek out credible sources that sort of align with that inner light, um, because without it, I, I lose interest very quickly. Is there anything upcoming in your life, either online or out in the world, that you'd like to announce, or and or where can people find you online at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I'm always you know, teaching on glow, I'd love for more people to come through and try out a class and see if my style resonates with them, if there's something they can take from that practice. Um, I'm, you know, big on sharing accessible and inclusive information around yoga just in general. So if you're interested as well, you can check me out on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube, all with the handle Divya Bala. Um, and I also often hold yoga fundraiser classes for various social causes. I'd say averaging once per quarter every few months. Well, Divya, thank you so much. This has been a joy and uh, we're grateful that you're teaching on GLOW and, and thank you for following your heart and um, choosing the path that you've chosen. The world's a better place because of it. That is so kind. Thank you for having me. And it's honestly such a joy to be part of the GLOW family and see all the incredible initiatives that you've got going on and, you know, even better get to be a part of them. So thank you for having me and, you know, letting me share my voice. Thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at GLOW. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider, Red Cub Agency, for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find the GLOW podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills.